it says in the beginning of our gospel today, is it lawful for a husband to divorce his wife? They were testing him. And I think a lot of priests preaching on this gospel feel like, well, the congregation's testing them. All right, what's Padre going to say about this one? Because it's, it, it speaks to something that is, you know, a, you know, very much a reality in our, our present-day American society. You know, divorce is something that is very common and touches a lot of people's lives. Um, I think it's sort of interesting in looking at my family that we sort of uh, have bucked the historical trend in two ways. So nowadays in, in my family, um, amongst my parents, all my aunts and uncles, uh, amongst my cousins, uh, there's, there's not a single divorce. Um, and uh, so that's, that's kind of weird. But if you go back in the family history on my father's side, you know, there's, uh, there's a number of divorces at a time when that was extremely rare. So we have uh, sort of this weird, uh, weird sort of family outcome, you know, that, that somehow what was a problem in the past isn't, uh, isn't so much now. And it's also interesting in, in thinking about divorce personally because, you know, growing up, it was not much of a reality where I grew up. You know, there were about 44 kids in my eighth grade graduating class, and maybe we had two from divorced families. So it was really, really low, really low. And one of those, one of those kids was a, a friend of mine. You know, and I wasn't... I wasn't emotionally uh, uh, sort of aware enough, uh, or much at all, in eighth grade. Um, but, you know, there was, there was still something, I think, about that experience. And his father, his father had remarried a woman, a stepmother. Um, she seemed very nice, you know. I, I liked her. She was always very kind to me. Um, but, but there was something about my friend that, you know, there was, looking back, there was a woundedness there, you know, that he had been... He had been hurt in in this uh, in what he had experienced in, in seeing his parents divorce, you know. And it's it's a touchy subject in in a lot of ways, you know, because Jesus talks about it, you know, in uh, in the context of sin, and we don't like to talk about sin nowadays. Um, we haven't liked to do that much in sixty years in the church, but I think we should talk about it. You know, we've tried not talking about it for 60, for 60 years. It hasn't gone well for us, and maybe we should try something else. And I think we need to, to confront it. But one of the other things I was, I was thinking of, you know, in, in the past, you know, you go back 60, 70, 80 years, much more common to hear about um, sin from the pulpit. And I think it was much more common to hear about because there was much more of an assumption on the part of the faithful of God's mercy. You know, people went to confession all the time. You know, people went to, the, went to confession at the drop of a hat, or for the drop of a hat, really. Any, any sin, it's like, go to confession. My aunt told me this story. She was on her way to, a, uh, I think, a soccer game, and my great-uncle Raul was driving her. You know, and Raul's been dead for at least a decade, and he was old when he died. So this was a while ago. So they're driving to the soccer game, and Raul asks his daughter, oh, so, you know, did you go to confession? And she says, no, I didn't go this week. You know, and uh, <laughs> they make a U-turn and go to church. 
she was like eight. <laughs> so, but there was this, there, you know, there was much more consciousness of sin, but also much more consciousness of God's mercy. You know, so sin was a fixable problem. And I think in general in society, we, you know, we, nobody wants to talk about sin or blame. You know, oh, it's nobody's fault, blah, blah, blah. Because people have lost faith in forgiveness. You know, and, and I think in Jesus, you know, who is the one who, through whom forgiveness comes. You know, and, and, you know, when you look at the cross, you see the image of how much God wishes to forgive us. So when you lose sight of that, it totally changes your relationship with guilt. And not in, a, not in a good way. So when we when we look at, you know, divorce, one of the things that becomes clear from what Jesus is saying here is that there is sin, that there is sin that's a part of it. Now, not always the, the sin of the person who files for divorce, because, you know, there can be very abusive situations which, you know, the morally right thing to do is to get out of that situation and get children out of that situation. You know, that, that happens also with sad frequency. Um, but there is, um, but there's always a, a, a real cost uh, to that. And, and that's one of the things that become, has become sort of clear in a way, not talking to people, but also in a book I was, I've been reading called Primal Loss. Primal loss. And all it is is the story of 70 adults who went through divorce as kids. And all the author does is she finds these 70 people and she gives them like eight questions. And the whole book is basically, each chapter is a question. And she gives all of their answers in a row to each of these questions. And it's really interesting and really heartbreaking. And so there's this, this cost to the divorce, but also what, what, the, um, what the now adults write about is what they perceive as leading up to it, you know, and oftentimes the, the sins that led into the divorce and how it affects them. And, you know, part of the reality is that being married is, is difficult. It's difficult because you're uniting yourself to someone who's a sinner, and you are a sinner. And, and so to, to commit to being together is really hard. I used to think, when I was discerning my vocation, that marriage was the easy way out in Christian life. Totally wrong. <laughs> totally wrong. Be celibate. It's much easier this way. <laughs> I have application papers in the back for the men if you're interested in joining the order. Just kidding. But not kidding. It really, it really is easier. But there's another aspect to this too. You know, sin is sometimes, it's often not just personal. Yes, people make choices. People have vices. Um, but there's also a societal level to, uh, to sin and, and including to divorce. Michigan is a, a no-fault divorce state. Uh, which basically means you can get divorced pretty much at any time for any reason or, or no reason uh, whatsoever. And when you, what, what is this saying as, as a society to people? What is this saying to married people? 
it's saying that the promises you give and receive to this other person have less legal force than the warranty on your refrigerator. That's, that's what it says. And that's, that's a remarkable and I think unhappy place to put people in where there's no kind of societal support for things, something like at least getting counseling that, you know, that you have to at least, you have to at least try to make it work. And so what this also points to as well, you know, is, all right, if Jesus is giving this, this vision of, well, you know, from the beginning of creation, God made the male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. What God has joined together, no human being must separate. And you think, how is that possible? And I think the answer is that it's only possible with grace. Like, to really make a marriage work is only possible with help from God because it requires a lot of self-sacrifice. It requires humility to see your own faults. I think gratitude to, you know, for the patience of others. I think it requires forgiveness. It requires perseverance. A perseverance in the promises one has made and, and especially the promise to love another. This is one of the things that my father told me a couple years ago. My parents have been married for coming up on 42 years. Um, and, it's, you know, and it hasn't been all, you know, roses. Um, and my father said, you know, Nick, I think at the end of the day, if, if people, if they're going to stay married, there has to be a commitment to the marriage bond itself. There has to be a commitment to the union. Like, we're going to do this. I'm going to do this. And you're going to help me. That sort of thing. And so it requires grace. But what is this... What does all of this have to do? You know, Jesus gives this, this teaching on, on divorce, which, you know, is demanding in a sense. That's the interesting thing, that, it, you know, it, it's a contrast to the, the law of Moses. Uh, from the Old Testament. And uh, it's stricter. It's stricter than the law of Moses. You know, uh, Jesus asks more uh, of husband and wife than Moses does. And I think he does so because at, at the center of all of Jesus' commands in the New Testament is what? The two great commandments. Love God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. And that's asking a lot. But if Jesus asks a lot, it's because Jesus gives a lot. And what's really interesting is, in the background of this, Jesus' discussion here in Mark on divorce, is the entire Old Testament history of God's relationship with Israel. When I was a first-year Dominican, I uh, decided I was going to read through the Bible and I mean, I had, you know, I'd been to mass every, every Sunday, my entire life, you know, I'd heard plenty of the Old Testament. Um, I also heard about it, you know, and still my image of, you know, God, at least God of the Old Testament was, you know, uh, you know, kind of like Zeus, lightning bolts, you know, anger, judgment, blah, 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 uh, something like that. And even after, you know, 
post-conversion senior of high school and reading a lot of theology in college that, that still, I think, was the dominant image. So first year Dominican, all right, I'm reading the Old Testament. So I start going through it. And, and what I was really struck by in, in reading book after book after book and prophet after prophet after prophet was not the wrath of God. That, that did not stand out for me. What stood out for me was how often God took back the people of Israel after they had been unfaithful. And honestly, like, I, I, I'm reading through the book, and at a certain point I'm just like, Lord, I know this is the chosen people. This relationship is not working. Choose somebody else. <laughs> but God doesn't. You know, he keeps, keeps going back, keeps being faithful, keeps drawing the people to himself. And that was the thing that shocked me about the Old Testament. That, that in this covenant relationship, God keeps being faithful. And it's not because he's deluded about how Israel is treating him. You know, he even has one of his prophets, uh, Hosea, marry a prostitute. And this is going to be a sign of God and Israel. God is the, the faithful prophet and Israel is the unfaithful prostitute wife. You know, so, you know, God is not under any delusion about what's going on in the relationship. And yet he still not just takes them back, but brings them back. And so when Jesus is talking about divorce, what, what he's really talking about here is a, a specific aspect of what it means to love. You know, love endures. Love endures. St. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. And that's what Jesus calls us to. And when we fail, he calls us to his mercy, to confess, to repent, to try again. But Jesus calls us to love perseveringly, to keep going. So what does all this mean, sort of maybe more practically, because, you know, many of you are young and probably interested in getting married despite my trying to sell you celibacy, I'm guessing most of you aren't having any of it. So, you know, what, what does this mean? And, you know, especially in this context of Hope College where, you know, again, people get married young. Um, it's just sort of like the thing, the thing to do. Um, what, what does all this mean? How do, we, how do we prepare for that reality? I think it's really shocking in the Gospel of Mark here that right after Jesus goes through all this stuff about, you know, uh, divorce and adultery and one flesh and, you know, man and woman, it immediately transitions into, and all these little kids want to come to Jesus and give him a hug. And Jesus is like, let the little children come. I'm going to give them a big hug. What do those have to do with each other? And I think what Jesus is, is pointing to is the fact that children have this, I think, very simple reliance. You know, their simple attraction to God, to Jesus. 
and a simple reliance on him, a simple reliance on their parents, you know, when they know they're loved. And I can't help but think, given where this is in the scripture, that's part of the message of Jesus. That if we are going to be adults, you know, and get married and you're going to be faithful in good times and in bad, it's going to require this kind of childlike simplicity and this dependence on God to always go to him in good times and in bad. I think first what that means is, no surprise, prayer. You know, that that to have, I think, a, a successful marriage means to be men and women of prayer. Because prayer calls down grace, and if we need grace to love other people and to persevere in love, we've got to pray. And not just as an individual, but as a family. As a family. Growing up, we didn't pray much as, as a family, you know, outside of going to church, but there was something about being really faithful about going to church as a family. We always did that, every Sunday. And that really formed me. It really formed me as a person, even when I didn't think I got anything out of going to church, um, and I thought I was boring, and the preacher talked too long, and didn't say anything. Uh, there was something about being committed to going. I wish we had prayed more as a family growing up, but, you know, we had that, and that's not nothing. You know, it's the old saying, the family that prays together stays together. It's an old cliche, but cliches exist for a reason, usually because they're true. I think the second thing that's required is to practice receiving forgiveness and giving it. And this is where not just going to confession, although you should go to confession, but being conscious of you know, this is part of my relationship with God and I've done something wrong, I've hurt the relationship and, and to appreciate how easily and how quickly God forgives and how available that is. And to be someone who's thankful for forgiveness and for mercy it makes it a lot easier to give it. When you know you're rich, it's easier to share because you know I've got plenty. And I think finally... Practice making and keeping commitments. I think one of the big drivers of divorce in our culture is FOMO, fear of missing out. It's also a reason people don't get married. Well, what if somebody better comes along? How do you know they'll like you? You know? <laughs> but I think it's, it's, a real, it's, a, it's a real sort of thing that... that when you, when you give in to that fear of missing out, when you don't just sort of stick with plans or commitments you've made to people, even in little things, it trains you to, to break commitments um, and, and to not stick with things when they're difficult. You know, this is a bad example, uh, but I, I think of one of the students I taught uh, in high school, and <laughs> he was having a party and, you know, spent a lot of money buying, like, beer and booze for the party and, you know, invited all these people to come over and it's going to be this wild shindig. <laughs> and all these people said, oh yeah, we're going to be there, it'll be great. Nobody came. Nobody came. They all got better offers. You know, and I, I, I kind of I felt sorry for him. I mean, sorry, not sorry, but I felt sorry. <laughs> I felt sorry, you know, at the sense of, like, Betrayal, like he had put in effort, he had spent money, you know, he counted on people to keep their promises, and they didn't do it, even for free booze. 
It's like if you can't even keep your promises to show up for free booze, nothing's going to work for you in life. Nothing. So keep your promises. Make little promises and keep them. Show up for things. And that's why even being faithful to showing up for Mass like you have. You could be doing other things with this time. You've got papers to work on, tests to study for. But you shut that off for an hour and you say, I'm going to, I'm going to be here. So let's take a moment in silence and I want you to ask the Holy Spirit for the help that you need in those areas of life where, where persevering in love for someone is difficult. Where it's difficult to keep going in a relationship, to, to keep caring, to keep praying for someone. Let's take a, just some time out to ask for the Spirit's strength to help us in our weaknesses.